This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to this June 22nd edition of Real Talk. Coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Mira Nair. We're going to be talking about the deadliest incident of terrorism uh, in Canadian history, but it's not necessarily treated nor regarded as such, not respected as such. We're going to be talking about tomorrow, the anniversary of the Air India Flight 182 bombing, and get into why Canada has unremembered such a significant tragedy that's coming up on the show plus of course we're going to take a look at the story that seems to have gripped the entire globe this is that missing sub the titan sub the one on its way down to explore the remains of the titanic as we record this show uh, coming up on 9 a.m mountain time on this thursday experts say that that sub will have lost its oxygen by now, but the nations involved in this are describing it still as 100% a search and rescue project, not a recovery. We're going to get into the details on that as far as we know it. But first, we want to let you know that this show is presented this morning by Business Career College. Do you know that certified financial planners earn up to 115 grand a year in Canada to start and the demand for them is growing fast? You can become a CFP with Business Career College and you could launch your own business, earn great money and help people achieve their financial goals. It's a rewarding career and Business Career College is the best place to get your CFP with online courses, expert instructors to help you through and decades of experience helping students succeed. You can learn more and get the ball rolling on your next career move by visiting businesscareercollege.com today. Well, as mentioned, today is being treated as the deadline, realistically, to save the lives of the five people on board this Titan sub. They were on their way Sunday down to see the remains of the Titanic in a vessel, a controversial vessel, you might say, that was engineered to be able to withstand pressures that very few vessels on earth could uh, to dive down to a depth of approximately 12,500 feet which is hard to wrap your mind around approximately four kilometers below the surface of the ocean now just about 90 minutes after this vessel took off it lost contact with the crew up on the surface And while aviation uh, aircraft, including those from Canadian search and rescue personnel, have heard noises, uh, they've not been able to determine whether or not those are coming from the Titan sub or even whether or not these people are still alive. And Johnny, you and I talked about this briefly yesterday on the show. It's, it's, It's been really incredible to see how this story has gripped, I would say, almost billions of people around the world this is mm-hmm. a story that everybody seems to be talking about but some nightmares. people taking it a bit more serious than others yeah i see a lot of people kind of poking fun at the story i am seeing some jokes and memes online which is in 
really bad taste. But I did see just a latest update here. The U.S. Coast Guard tweeted uh, just a few moments ago that they've got a Canadian vessel, the Horizon Atlantic, and they've deployed a remote-operated vehicle this morning. It has reached the seafloor, which is crazy. That's mm. about 13,000 feet. It's hard to wrap you your mind around how that's far like, down what, that is. two miles? Yeah. Straight down. So it is on the floor. They have heard some noise, and this is their last-ditch es- effort to kind of comb the seafloor on where they think it may be located and hopefully uh, detect where they are. So you hear expert opinions on this and, and, and there, there's a huge wide range on what they say may have happened when this mm-hmm. vessel lost contact. Somebody said something as simple. I mean, with the amount of pressure at mm-hmm. that depth, something something as simple as a stripped screw. Yeah. One missing your screw, safety precaution check through. Missing some bolts one little come thing. Out. You the know, pressure could, down there must be. Just you can't wrap your mind yeah, around it. I mean, they, they said that even U.S. Navy subs, I was doing a little bit of reading on this last night, U.S. Navy subs that are designed to go on these rescue mm-hmm. efforts can dive to a maximum depth of 2,000 feet. Yeah. This is six times as deep, and so they're deploying, like you said, these these ROVs, these remote-operated vehicles that can dive down to 20,000. Mm-hmm. And basically, that doesn't guarantee they're going to find it. No, so there's like what I would guess... Uh, they're talking about is kind of like a black box it, it deploys like a pinging noise and, and as well even if the power is depleted that's another thing this thing needs power it's only supposed to be down there five six ten hours at the most when it's down there for days it's probably run out of power these people are probably in total darkness but there are lights on the outside of it emergency lights that do continue to blink uh so hopefully i mean there's a last ditch effort happening now hopefully they catch a glance of them and can pull them to the surface. I mean, it morning. would just be an absolutely remarkable story if these people were to survive. Uh, I, sometimes it's not lost. I mean, not to get too whimsical or too out there in my thinking, but, but, I, but I sometimes think of, as we look back on past episodes of Real Talk, you know, we're talking about something now where we don't know the ending. Will we know how this story ends 24 or 48 or 72 hours from now? Will this be a story? I think of like baby Jessica being rescued from the well down in Texas in the 1980s. Who will forget that? I get chills as I think about it now. This little baby girl, 18 months old, being pulled out of this this tube, this well that she had fallen into as the world watched. You know, these these survival stories that we see or. Will this be one of these stories where these folks, these travelers, these adventurers were lost forever and we don't know what happened to them? This could be something as simple as this Ocean Gate Mm -hmm. Titan sub getting snagged on the Titanic itself. Another thing I think is really surprising, and we saw this yesterday, there's a documentary airing this evening on UK's Channel 5. What's it even going to be about at about this point? About the sub going missing and about the people on it. But, I mean, there we don't even have an ending yet. But, yeah. I mean, that just shows you how much this is gripping the entire world. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, meantime, there's another story happening. And I do not think that this is in poor taste for people to be stacking up two news items and talking about them together. Why isn't the world talking about this fishing boat uh, that was on its way from Libya to Italy with hundreds of migrants. This boat that sank in Greek waters last week, hundreds of people still missing and feared dead, but no one's talking about it, right? It's garnered far less attention. NBC News has a feature on it if you want to see it. The resources for this, I mean, every nation jumps to participate in the rescue effort to find the five people on board Titan. But we hear about migrants that go missing, boats that go down, hundreds of people dreaming, oftentimes with their families in tow, of a better life. 
And there's not even a portion. There's not even a semblance of the same response from the global community. Just something to think about. A tale of two disasters. In just a second, we're going to be talking to somebody who knows a thing or two about disasters, tragedies that maybe aren't taken as seriously as they should be or certainly not remembered or recognized for what they are. Dr. Mira Nair is coming up in just a second. We're going to be talking about the Air India 182 bombing, the anniversary of that. It happened back in 1985 is tomorrow on June 23rd. This episode of Real Talk is presented by uh, sponsors, including our friends at Friesen Brothers, who want to remind you that they're going to be down at Edmonton Veg Fest. That's taking place on Saturday at Borden Park in Edmonton. Starts at 11, goes till 7 p.m. You know, despite their roots as a butcher shop back at, established in 1955, can you believe they're still family owned? Uh, Friesen Brothers actively supports the growth of veganism in both the grocery industry as a whole, the food industry, and of course, even their company. As part of their involvement at VegFest, uh, Friesen Brothers is going to be featuring their vegan pepperoni pizza, also known as the Vegan Big Burda. Johnny and I both love it. Uh, crafted using their famous sourdough pizza crust and their in-store made pizza sauce. You can learn more about the vegan options available at Friesen Brothers at Friesen.com slash vegan. And you're going to be hanging out down at VegFest this weekend. I am going to be down there. We get going at 11 a.m. It goes all the way to 7 a.m. A 7 huge, yeah, yeah. beautiful venue in Borden Park. You can walk around and dogs allowed. So bring the whole family down. Bring the dogs. Got uh, plant-based puppy treats, all sorts of stuff. And Do you a t- have a plant-based playlist? Are you going to spin it plant- <laughs> no. vegan-themed tunes? <laughs> that's, that's, we're just going to play good, sunshiny music. It's going to be 25 and sunny. And, of course, we got a ton of great speakers coming down, including Green Party leader uh, Jordan Wilkins. Oh, that'll so. be a lot of fun. Good stuff. If your family is living in a state of chaos right now, uh, is this speaking directly? Do you feel like I'm speaking directly to you? Can I recommend you take two seconds and tour CaliforniaClosets.ca? My wife and I, about 10 years ago, we were in this situation where we had like board games all stacked up and, and books were kind of stacked up and the TV was on top of the cable box. And it was just, I mean, honestly, it looked like my room looked like in university, to be quite honest with you. And the California Closets team sat down with us, a free design consultation, and ultimately hit it out of the park. Our, the livability of our home was off the charts. Of course, the increased value in our home was amazing. California Closets isn't just doing closets and entertainment centers like they did for us. They're also really, really helping people fall back in love with their garages. You know, your garage is the workhorse of the home. Why not get it to work for you with a custom workbench? You get the rakes and shovels off the ground. Get the bikes where they should be. California Closets is the best in the business and more affordable than you think. Guaranteed. You can find them online today at californiaclosets.ca. If you're a professional engineer in Canada looking for a new opportunity, your brain is just going numb from the boring work you're being assigned. You're finding absolutely no professional fulfillment showing up day in and day out. Nobody's watching. Go check out apexautomation.ca. They're hiring right now. They're looking for all kinds of engineers, electrical, instrumentation, computer science, process, mechanical engineers, even electricians and instrument technicians. They're looking to put you to work in BC, Alberta. Heck, down in Texas, they've just opened up an office and they're leading the way when it comes to automation in Canada, including emerging industries like autonomous vehicles and machinery, robotics. They're on the cutting edge. And they put their people ahead of their profits at apexautomation.ca. 
You know, today is the big day. The Real Talk Golf Classic goes this afternoon. We're super excited to welcome our 140 golfers and all of our sponsors that are going to help us fund that Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. That includes the amazing team at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. They're going to be on hole 10, Johnny, with their Dilly Bar Shooters. And these are the Dairy Queens from Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Family-owned businesses that give a rip about the communities where they live and work. If you're going to be celebrating with your family this summer, remember, there's nothing like the layers of celebration that come with a DQ cake. It's happiness, customized however you want it. You can find them online or go see them in person. Let them know that Real Talk sent you to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. June 23rd, 1985, a flight out of Montreal, ultimately on its way to India, exploded off the coast of Ireland. 329 people on board, all perished, including 268 Canadians. It was obviously a shocking act of terrorism and the worst act of terrorism at the time in Canadian history. Dr. Mira Nair has been advocating for the victims and the surviving families of Air India Flight 182 for years. And she joins us in the Real Talk studio this morning. Thank you so much for making time for us and and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Why do you personally care so deeply about this tragedy? My parents came to Canada in the late 60s. My brother and I grew up in Vancouver in the 70s and 80s. And it's um, the community, the, the Indian community was pretty small. You know, we all knew what was happening in the community. And I don't think anyone, you know, we all knew people who had gone down on that plane. And terrible as that was, I don't think what any of us predicted was that how, um, how resolute Canada appeared to be in the years that followed to forget about this or to do its best to uh, speak of it in very cloaked terms. So that's, uh, that's a good part of why I feel it's important to remind people um, of the families that lost um, loved ones. Many of them have already passed away. You know, this was 38 years ago. And I keep hoping that before, the, before they are all gone, that we've managed to correct the Canadian record, bring this closer to contemporary Canadian consciousness. When you say, and, and I've seen headlines and, and, and opinion columnists, and, and you've penned several of them in newspapers across the country. Um, we're also going to link, by the way, you have a blog that people can check out. It'll be in the show notes of this episode. That this incident has been unremembered by Canada. Uh, what do you mean exactly? Well, first, I want to credit Pat. Patrick Rother of the Globe and Mail for that wonderful article he wrote back in 2010, you know, why Canada chose to unremember the victims. And it's, you know, like everything, it's complicated. I think to a large part, Canadian authorities were shocked and embarrassed when the plane blew up. There had been more than enough evidence pointing to disaster was imminent, including express warnings from India that Air India was a target and in fact, that flight was of concern. 
But also what I feel is that at a political level, too many of our politicians were, I guess, more interested in um, keeping overall relations with certain groups within the Indian community harmonious. Um, and as, um, as Patrick Ruther uh, detailed, the one credible reason for handling this uh, topic gently is you don't want to tar the entire community. You know, a few madmen plotted to bring down an airline. That should not be visited upon everybody. Um, but staying silent has only allowed that, uh, that quarter to become more vocal. And it's, it's just inconceivable that authorities turned a blind eye 38 years ago and seem to be happy to continue to turn a blind eye. So you grew up in Vancouver. That's right. Can, yes. can you take us back to the, to the early 1980s and, and give us a sense of, of what the Indian community in, in Western Canada at that time uh, was like, what the dynamic was like, what you remember, what you remember your parents talking about, uh, most especially in the lead up to June 23rd? Certainly. I mean, one thing that stands out for me, it's something that, you know, my mother had remarked it, in the early days, um, there weren't very many of us, I mean, to put it plainly, not that many brown people around. So when you saw somebody who looked like you, you didn't care which part of India they came from. You didn't even care, you know, if they were from India, like any part of the subcontinent was fine. Um, you were just so happy to see someone that, you know, you have a bit of a shared history with and some of a shared struggle. It was it was not easy being a visible minority in Vancouver in those days. But with tension growing in India, tension in the Punjab, um, actions by the Indian government of the day, particularly a military assault on the complex of um, the Golden Temple, which is the holiest site in Sikhism, that contributed to a lot of enmity to India being expressed on the streets of Vancouver. And people who spoke up were intimidated, harassed, beaten. Ujjal Dusanj is lucky to be alive. You know, he was attacked by an assailant wielding an iron bar because he'd been trying to speak up as, mod you know, the voice of moderation, tr trying to both simultaneously, you know, find some, I guess, peace within the community, asking people, you know, not to go down this path of extremism, but also trying to alert the Canadian authorities that this is a problem you need to pay attention to. And um, it's, it's something where that very marked change set in in the early 80s, that now we were divided into camps. And that was disturbing. And then, of course, the ultimate of pain that the terrorist attack was plotted and conceived of by our own, you know, Canadians taking down Canadians. Hmm. The warnings leading up to this tragedy, uh, I mean, the fact that the, the, the bag, the bomb itself traveled from Canada's West Coast to essentially Canada's East Coast and then departed from there out of Montreal. I, I mean, there were perhaps not to belabor this point, but, but I do think that this is significant as well. Uh, you look back to 1985, obviously, airport security was not the same. I know that there were missed markers and missed warnings on this, but that contributes to the, to the I think, the depth or the magnitude of this tragedy. Anytime something you look at could have been prevented. Uh, is that something that you spend much time thinking about? Oh, yes. I mean, Justice, uh, retired Supreme Court Justice John Major um, was the one who led the public inquiry, an inquiry that had to be begged for. You know, it came 20 years after the bombing. And um, he described it as a cascade of errors. 
there were so many points, so many moments where if just a different action had been taken, you and I probably would not be having this conversation now. And I should point out that there was a second bomb. It was uh, targeted for the Air India flight traveling east. Now, I don't know how to put this. I don't want to say fortunately, but because two people still died, but it detonated on the ground mm. in Tokyo's Narita airport. Two baggage handlers lost their life. So it's, um, it, it was quite the plot. To, the intention was two Air India flights, one traveling west, one traveling east, would come down with all aboard. And this was the sending a message to the Indian government by targeting innocent travelers. And uh, sorry, just one thing that popped into my mind on um, the numbers. I know you mentioned 268 were killed Canadians. There was another number on screen. And I think some of this was those early reports, not knowing exactly who was on it. Um, as far as I'm aware now, the final number settled on was 280 Canadians. I saw 280 as well. Yeah. yeah. And of that, 82 were children 12 and under. And if you consider the legal definition of a minor child, it's up to the age of 18, typically, the number rises to 137. So nearly half the Canadian victims were our youth. And it was by far the majority of uh, occupants on the plane. And yet it still it surprises me um, the way Canadian officials or Canadian politicians in particular will try very hard not to acknowledge the Canadian dimensions of this tragedy. You know, these three papers are that I'm holding in my hand. Your continued advocacy. You've emailed the show on three different occasions about this. My apologies. Uh, you, no, I didn't realize I'd done it that often. Don't, don't apologize at all. You, you emailed me on uh, when the show was brand new uh, on, on New Year's Eve 2020. Um, you, you, you argued that Canada has not regarded this as a Canadian tragedy. Uh, you emailed again in November of 2021. You say that June 23rd is Canada's National Day of Remembrance for Victims of Terrorism. Uh, the date chosen expressly because it marks the anniversary of the bombing of Air India Flight 182. Um, and, and then you encourage us to encourage our fellow Canadians to take this seriously and look at it. And then, of course, you've advocated again this year to us, as you know. This is something, the point I'm making is something that obviously has resonated very deeply with you. This is not related to your professional field. No. This is something that, that's very personal for you. How do you see this tragedy back in 1985 impacting Canada today, in, in particular, potentially Indo-Canadians? Is this, is this something that remains a, a contentious issue, an impactful tragedy? What do you see around you in 2023? It certainly remains an issue and, you know, one of sadness that the bombing happened, it could have been prevented and Canada chose to sort of write off the families, you know, with as little fanfare as possible. But apart from that, it is worrisome that there is still dialogue within the community that is continuing to harbor resentment to India. That's about the most polite way I can think of putting it. Now, these are, it's a very small minority. You don't minority. have to be polite. <laughs> if you want to say something that's less polite, but more impactful, that's okay. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. But this is a small community with, or sub-community within the Indian Canadian community. I can't stress that enough. But for that group, they still venerate the bombers. They are still you know, apparently uh, of the belief that violence justifies a political objective. And they're not afraid to present the story in their terms. I think it's safe to say that chances are more Canadians are aware of the persecution of Sikhs in India 
than they are of the punishment for that activity, which was meted out on Canadians. But there's a story that will every year we will hear on June 4th. It's the anniversary of the Indian government's, you know, storming of the Golden Temple, which even that is an incomplete story. What we don't hear is that retribution for that followed in, on June 23rd, 1985, targeting Canadians. And this, I feel, it's, it is worrisome if Canadian authorities are continuing to turn a blind eye to it. There are so many angles uh, on this story that demand attention around destroyed evidence, murdered witnesses, uh, the connection of Canada's intelligence service, CSIS. We should mention that the head of CSIS was replaced uh, after the subsequent failure of the organization to stop that bombing of of Flight 182. Um, Why do you think like this might again, there's nothing funny about this, but I was sort of joking with you earlier. I said this is like a, a total white guy question. Um, but for all the folks that may not quite understand the dynamics at play, I would be grateful if you would speculate as to why you think politicians don't seem to want to touch this story with a 10-foot pole. In plain language, help us understand. Well, I think some of it goes back to at the time when that bomb exploded. Um, I don't know if you've heard the story, but um, then Prime Minister Brian Mulroney called then Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi and offered his condolences. India had lost an insured plane and a crew. So the irony, you know, it's one would have expected the condolences to come in the other direction. Now, I think, you know, to be fair to Mr. Mulroney, I don't think his reaction was really any different than how many Canadians felt at the time. The plane blew up 5,000 miles away, so it's not like it was local. It seemed to be in connection to something to do with India, and therefore it was an Indian tragedy. So from that first moment where it seemed Canada was not involved, I think it was easy for politicians to sort of retreat. And then over time, over the last, or, you know, the following decades, the, um, the diaspora community has grown, um, particularly the Sikh Canadian population. And again, this concern of not wanting to possibly tar an entire community, but also very much a goal of favoring those that will deliver votes, that those, you know, those who will help you with your election platforms that will bring you large communities of supporters. Um, that's that's my very cynical take on it. But, hmm. you know, I feel it still lingers. Well, I think an informed take. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've written a lot about this. We'll link to uh, some of uh, Dr. Nyer's uh, opinion pieces. And it's first your mom wrote about this, didn't she? Before her passing. Uh, this was something that your mom was very passionate about and very vocal about as well. Yes. Although there's a, you know, multiple stories attached to that story. My mother was a mathematics lecturer in India, a career that she was able to partially resurrect when she came here. Um, Also in India, she used to occasionally contribute to newspapers, you know, op-ed type pieces. That was almost non-existent when she came here. The editors of the day weren't really interested in hearing what the Indian woman in a sari had to say, despite the fact that I have no hesitation to speculate that her grasp and command of the English language was better than theirs. Mm. The only time an editor asked for her um, involvement was after the bombing. And my mother didn't hesitate. She promptly said no. And I can still hear her explanation. I have a teenage daughter. That was her concern because the community was not safe. These were people that had just brought down an airplane. You know, a few more, it would not have mattered. So she held her silence for 10 years. 
And then when she did write about it in 1995, she was... Um, very careful to only focus on Canada's neglect, you know, neglect that had begun the day of the bombing in, in Ireland, in fact, afterwards. And yet, despite that, uh, you know, restraint on her part, she still got hate mail from the Indian community. Mm. So there's a, that small but very noisy group that does not want Air India 182 talked about. Uh, you, people can look out uh, look at it's June 23rd 1985.wordpress.com and this this is your blog where, yes. where people can can read about it and you've you've published several uh, thoughts on it several uh, columns on it over the years have you received blowback have you received threats for the work the advocacy that you have done on this you know when I think about what other you know women receive on social media I'll say I've been spared you know I've certainly got some snarky remarks or few vile comments in Twitter, but, you know, it's, um, again, I think I've, I've been fairly lucky, uh, but it is, I mean, you're, you're comparing it to something horrific though. <laughs> you're saying compared to what some people face on social media, but have you still occasionally? I mean, yeah. 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 And you know, those are the people that you just try to ignore uh, for all, you know, they're a bot. Um, but sure. it's, it is something that I find telling that, it is difficult to persuade mainstream media to take my pieces. And so I'm deeply grateful to the Edmonton Journal for having run a few of them. Sure. Um, but I will say I've tried the national papers, national organizations, and um, to no avail. So again, thank you for giving some time to this. Well, this is what we're sh our show is all about, um, most especially you know stories where we think that uh, Canadians will be greatly interested and... Um, where those stories maybe aren't getting the attention that they deserve. Uh, back in May 2007, I'm sure you know this, uh, Angus Reid Strategies, the pollster, uh, released the results of some public opinion polling that they had done on whether Canadians viewed the Air India bombing as a Canadian or an Indian tragedy and whom they blamed. 48% mm -hmm. of respondents, about half, uh, considered the bombing to be a Canadian event. Uh, keep in mind, this is in 2007. 22%, uh, about one in five, thought that it was a mostly Indian affair. 34%, uh, let's say a third, uh, felt both CSIS and airport security personnel deserved a great deal of the blame. 27%, uh, about a quarter, believed that the RCMP were to blame. Uh, and about one in five mentioned Transport Canada. Uh, McLean's at the time ran a feature. Ken McQueen and John Gettys uh, said that the Air India bombing had been uh, referred to as Canada's 9-11 uh, but in their response to that, disagreed, um, stating, quote, in truth, it was never close to that. The date, the 23rd of June, 1985, is not seared into the nation's soul. The events of that day snuffed out hundreds of innocent lives and altered the destinies of thousands more. But it neither shook the foundations of government nor transformed its policies. It was not, in the main, even officially acknowledged as an act of terrorism. I, I feel that comparison to 9-11 was misplaced. Um, you know, 9-11 was the attack of a foreign you know, entity on a sovereign state. It's easy to rail against that. It is much harder to talk about domestic terrorism. And in my mother's piece, I think she referred to it as more akin to the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, which again, you didn't hear a whole lot of after that happened. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that within our own, you know, borders, we have people conspiring to murder Canadians en masse or to murder, you know, the residents of any country en masse. It's a difficult conversation. I do get it. But again, not having the conversation 
has two consequences. One, it's incredibly painful to the families of the survivors, or pardon me, the families of the victims. And the other thing is you run the risk of could it happen again? I mean, part of the reason the plane came down is because all those warnings, all that security, um, the, to the extent that they had information, the belief was it's not going to happen. And then it did. So again, I, I just find it astounding that we could be risking playing with fire all over again. A couple of years ago, uh, it was almost exactly two years ago, a Canadian senator, an independent senator out of Alberta, Paula Simons, uh, if you're a regular to this show, you know Senator Simons well, had something to say about this on the record. Here's what she said two years ago. This week marks the 36th anniversary of the most horrific and deadly act of terrorism committed against Canadian citizens and against Canada itself. I speak, of course, of the bombing of Air India Flight 182, a murderous attack that killed 329 people, most of them proud Canadians. Three dozen years have passed since that dreadful day, June 23, 1985. In the interim, an entire Canadian generation has come of age, so not everyone remembers, as I still do, the shocking horror of learning the plane had blown up as it flew over Ireland. The sickening sense of relief people felt when they realized that a second bomb, meant for a second plane, had failed to detonate midair as planned and had instead killed two baggage handlers at Tokyo's Narita Airport. The sense of betrayal that many in Canada's South Asian community felt when they saw their own government treating this not so much as an attack on Canada and Canadians, but as an Indian tragedy. The frustration over decades as investigations and inquiries and trials failed to give friends and families of the victims the justice they'd been waiting for. But today I want to recognize the hard work of my fellow Edmontonian, Dr. Mira Nair, who wants to make sure Canadians never forget what happened that day 36 years ago. Dr. Nair is a writer and the copyright officer at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. And for years now, she's been writing essays and articles about the mass murder and campaigning for Parliament to observe a moment of silence on June 23rd, the anniversary of the Air India tragedy. Of course, June 23rd isn't always a date when parliamentarians are sitting, as we well know. But during this difficult year when we have mourned together all too often, I feel Dr. Nair's campaign is more timely than ever. Several times just in recent weeks, we in the Senate have felt the power of taking a moment to remember, even when we've been separated by COVID. For some, I'm sure, that moment is a moment of prayer. For others, it's a moment of quiet reflection or meditation. It may be a largely symbolic act. A cynic might even see it as a performative one. But I think for us as parliamentarians, those quiet moments are a chance to ground us, to remind us of why we're truly here. However we mark June 23rd, whether as senators or as private citizens, I hope that we will never forget the hundreds of Canadians, the dozens of Canadian families who lost their lives that day. And I hope we'll forever stand with the Canadian friends and families who still mourn their loved ones. And today, I want to, suit, I want to salute uh, Mira Nair for never stilling her voice. What did that mean to you to have a Canadian senator recognizing your efforts? Oh, Senator Simons is a treasure, and um, I've never met her. I had just written to her asking if she could add her voice. I, I did not expect anything quite so fulsome, and um, it, it, was, it was extremely moving. I should add, the, um, the reason for my wanting a moment of silence on June 23rd, that was what propelled me a few years ago to really sort of speak, speak more about this topic. 
for a different reason. I had been trying to figure out when you know, the House would rise for the summer recess. And I came across their policies and procedures manual. And it's declared there that June 23rd is the official last day of the session. Now, they could choose to leave early. But what that said to me was, I still remember that moment, just what clicked in my mind was that the government of Canada follows the same schedule as the Air India bombers. And I, I just couldn't quite let that one go. And I thought, Something needs to be said to remind ourselves that, you know, on that day, the the reason so many children, so many youth died is because the plane was packed with families. They were going back to India for the summer, you know, a chance for the children to see their extended families, spend time with grandparents, you know, hopefully pick up a bit of the language. It's it spoke so much to me that all that all those families were trying to do was go be with their loved ones. Something that our members of parliament will do as after they exit the building, they'll return to their home ridings. So it seemed appropriate that let's just take a moment to remember the people who wanted nothing more than that same pleasure and were murdered for it. If uh, people check out your Twitter and, and we'll link to that in the show notes, they'll find a pinned tweet. Uh, it's at the top of your profile there and you've left it there. Yes. Um, these are the words of uh, Mark Stagg who was one of the individuals with the uh, unenviable task of helping recover bodies and wreckage uh, from the ocean. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? I have it. I have it right here. If you'd like to read it, I can try reading it. (laughs) Maybe if you read it, maybe you can tell us why, why this is pinned to your profile. Certainly. I'll just give a little bit of a backstory. Um, If I might just, go back to that last uh, topic for a moment. I will say last year, through the efforts of M- Member of Parliament Talib Noor Mohammed, we did finally achieve that moment of silence in the House of Commons on June 23rd, and some of the families were there. But um, coming back to Mark Stagg's work, um, he and uh, some of his colleagues who had in, unfortunately been pulling bodies from the ocean, they came to speak at the inquiry. As to what they coped with in 1985, um, those were the days we didn't talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. If you'd rattled off PTSD, people would just think, well, that's an odd collection of letters. But they had had, they'd coped with looking at the dead, men, women, and children, the bodies in a state of obvious trauma. And on day two, apparently, I shouldn't say apparently, it was confirmed in the inquiry, sharks were in the water. Mm. And still, divers went in they were determined to recover as many of the bodies as they could, and it affected them all deeply. So when he came to speak, this is part of what he, what he gave to the commission. But it is the families of Air India Flight 182 that take my breath away, and of whom Canada should be so proud. They have a grace and dignity in the face of such suffering that has been both humbling and a source of renewal and a restoration of my belief in humanity. My pain is dwarfed by that which these people have suffered without respite for 21 years, and yet they still have the love to reach out to me and offer comfort. I never have to explain. They understand. And I say again, I am humbled. Hmm. And so it is for those families that this is important. How would you assess where this is at now? Like, if, if you take a look at, at some of the dynamics at play in the 1980s, some of the dynamics at play now. I mean, I know that there was a rally this week that caught your attention. Can we talk about that? Uh, um, or the, a rally 
based and and a parade um, three weeks ago in Brampton. Three weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, a parade was um, commemorating what is considered a a day to recognize martyrs um, in the Sikh faith. And one of the parade floats depicted the assassination of Indira Gandhi under the title of Revenge. And as best as I've been able to determine from our official government, um, no member has really said anything about it. Patrick Brown did, um, you know, give an interview to Indian media that he, he deplored the violence. But I just find it telling that Canadian media didn't seem to really want to engage on this topic. So, again, I feel that we haven't made much progress from uh, where we were in the 1980s. And that, again, it's disturbing. I want to thank you for uh, your willingness to join us on the show and talk about this um, and for putting this back on our radar just in time for June 23rd uh, to give Canadians an opportunity to better understand the factors that were at play then, the factors that are at play now, and, and what our collective response uh, could look like. Uh, we'll let people know locally. We have audience members outside of Edmonton, but locally, the high-level bridge will be lit tomorrow, yes. correct? And this is something that, that you advocated for for quite some time. Well, <laughs> yes. I um, just casually happened to look at the bridge lighting schedule because I'd been thinking, you know, maybe I could find out how to submit a request for red and white. And I discovered that colors had been selected already, and it was blue and yellow, which suggested to me it was in, in support of Ukraine. And certainly what is happening in Ukraine is vile. No matter what political disagreements exist between two nations, military force against civilian populations is reprehensible, inexcusable, abominable. You know, take your pick. And we should support and we should remember them. Likewise, many other citizens of countries that are living in a state of terror. And uh, Syria comes to mind, Iran, Sudan, um, Haiti. But June 23rd, the day of remembrance for victims of terrorism in Canada, is the day we think we turn inwards. We remember the Canadians we lost that day. And paying tribute to them through lighting the bridge in red and white is one way to help bring their story back to life. So I'm grateful to the city of Edmonton for changing their mind. You can find Dr. Mira Nair on Twitter at Fair Duty. And again, you can check out her blog, uh, June23.1985.wordpress.com. We'll link to that in our show notes. Thank you for this. Thank you for having me. You can let us know what you think about what you hear on any episode of Real Talk by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. As a matter of fact, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to get into a few emails that have been submitted for a very specific Tradition as we wrap up our podcasting week. Uh, trash talk presented by Local Environmental coming up in just a second. But first, we wanted to remind you that our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring right now. They're looking for electricians and installers that would love to join their team to work in Alberta, BC, Northwest Territories, Saskatchewan. They're covering Western Canada, and this company is growing at a torrid pace. Huge congratulations to their founding CEO, Jake Kubisky, who's just been nominated as the Alberta representative for Ernst & Young's National Entrepreneur of the Year. Boy, are we ever proud to partner with Jake and his team at Kubi Renewable Energy. And we can't wait to see them all out at the Real Talk Golf Classic. We're so grateful for their sponsorship and their support of the Julie Rohr Scholarship. That's 
Kubi Renewable Energy, wonderful friends of Real Talk and the Real Talk community. Could say the exact same thing about the Monsma family, the owners and operators of Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. This is the raw food that we feed our dogs, Moses and Monroe, and we have seen incredible health benefits from that investment in this quality raw food. But it's not just the food. I want you to go check out granddog.ca. You can go check out the blog for more information on, you know, how this food is put together. They take you behind the scenes so you can learn all about it. Even how to manage your dog's weight with a raw dog food diet. And don't forget about the supplements as well. You can find that under the Shop Now link. They've got supplements for dogs and cats. This time of year, you might be seeing a little more itching and scratching, ear infections. Maybe your dog or cat is chewing or licking their paws. There could be help for that at granddog.ca. They'll deliver to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, Central Alberta, and the promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order from Grand Dog Essentials. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration also sponsoring the Real Talk Golf Classic today. We're so grateful for that, but they can't send any team members. They were going to, but they can't. And you can probably guess why. They do fire restoration. I, I, I mean, the gut punch of the reality right now in this part of the country is that fire damage is, well, it's going to define a lot of people's summer, unfortunately. Same goes for flood damage, and Complete Care Restoration is there for their clients when they need them most. I mean, this is the worst. Fire, flood, obviously. And our thoughts are with everybody that's navigating this. But the one thing we encourage you to do is check out Complete Care Restoration. Chances are your insurance policy lets you choose who's going to do the work on your biggest investment on your home. I recommend personally that you make it Complete Care Restoration. You can find them out, uh, find them online rather, at completecarerestoration.ca. And Johnny had our final planning meeting yesterday with Mike and Andrea and their team at Eden Landscaping. We got the plan in place because we're big dreamers, right? So we had them (laughs) do up these 3D renderings of this backyard and and then they did it and it was amazing. Yeah. And then the budget was like, ooh. And so I said, Mike, I need I need to shave this and cut this. And, and I put the number on the paper and said, here's our number. And no he go, problem. And he goes, I can get it down to that number. So they got it down to that number. And the plan looks amazing. And it shovels in the ground next week. We're really excited to work with Mike and his team. And I'm excited to show you, Real Talkers, the photos, the before and after. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of experience in the metro Edmonton area, full project management, which means you're not hiring an architect and then you're hiring your GC and then you got to find somebody to do the excavation. Then you got to find a gas fitter and then you got to. Nope. They handle it all stress free. You can find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, typically you'll hear this uh, on Fridays on the show, but uh, tomorrow we're, we're off air. Uh, it's because we're putting in a long one today out at the Ranch Golf and Country Club after recording this episode of Real Talk. So this week it's a Thursday where our friends at Local Environmental Services present the tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, I love this one from Anne. Anne sent us an email, and uh, she says, Hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing on Jan- John Valiant, the uh, the fire weather author. She said, I-, I wonder if 
he or you, Ryan, have heard of the latest conspiracy theory. Uh, she says, so, so now the conspiracy that's out online is that um, the chemtrails are drying out our lands. Now, we said the word chemtrails. We're going to bring out everybody on Twitter. She says, so the chemtrails are drying it out. And then there's laser beams that are that are being beamed into those dry lands to start the wildfires. And then the reason this is happening is that so people will be drawn into the large city centers and, th- and then they'll be put into the 15-minute communities and then they won't, they'll have to get permission to leave the 15-minute communities so that they can control all of us on planet Earth. And says, uh, meantime, uh, Alberta's premier is like wanting to investigate with these fires starting. Uh, I think she's playing to the whole chemtrail conspiracy theory. Like, I don't see any other way to see it. Like, she just seems to be deeply entrenched into this conspiracy theory crap. And uh, people need to be paying closer attention and listening to what is behind her words. That from Anne. If you missed John Valiant on Real Talk this week, make sure you check out that interview. That guy is an unbelievable storyteller. Tracy wrote in and said so nobody's wearing masks in long-term care centers anymore COVID's not gone it's still making people sick and in some circumstances it's killing people Uh, yeah the deaths are decreasing but they're still happening like according to Alberta Health Services the weekly rates of COVID cases hospitalized admitted to ICU remains highest among individuals aged 80 and older so naturally it makes perfect sense that the government says we can all go maskless in our long-term care centers right she says in all caps with a whole bunch of exclamation marks why did we even bother going to all the trouble that we went to in order to protect these people before, but like now we just don't give a shit anymore? Then it's not just AHS that's thinking this way. Look around you when you're out in public. It's virtually everybody. Uh, Tracy's not wrong. Says so the bottom line here is that during the height of COVID, people wore masks to protect themselves, themselves only, not the vulnerable, right? Because if people still cared about the vulnerable, they'd still be wearing masks in long-term care centers. Like as a society, it's more clear than ever that most of us only care about ourselves. We're all getting older. And one day, you will be in the position of relying on others to keep you safe. And uh, good luck with that. That from Tracy. Nice. Stalled it on the tree. Okay. And finally, this one from Jeff. Jeff's going to take us into the weekend. He says, is it just me or has the grumbling over Pride Month over June been much louder this year than in past years? Like, has has Pride, what is it? Have they gone too far with all the initials? Like, I don't know. I I don't know. With all the knickknacks you can buy, with all the corporate connections and the marketing, with rainbows on it, with with about just every corporation. Like, I don't know. Even oil companies endorsing Pride. He says, don't even get me started on Bud Light. I don't know. It doesn't bother me personally. He says, Pride. Pride just seems to be the latest thing now for the far right to become enraged over. Now that, I don't know, most COVID restrictions have subsided. They needed something else to get pissed off about. Climate change agenda, arsonists starting forest fires. Jeff says, anyway, happy Pride, everybody. And uh, to those who don't want to celebrate Pride, you've got 11 more months to celebrate being straight. That from Jeff. Love it, buddy. You can send us your trash talk anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Proudly presented by Local Environmental Services. We're going to be teeing off in a few hours, so we got to go. A huge shout out to everybody that's meeting us out at the Real Talk Golf Classic. And we'll be back with another fresh episode of Real Talk for you Monday. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. 
Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.